welcome to another edition of the Forkstown Podcast, your one-stop shop for anything and everything surrounding Seattle Mariners baseball team. My name is Rick Clark, and with me, as always, a graduate of the University of Idaho, a graduate of the Oregon State University, the best university in Oregon, by the way, Mr. Bo Chisholm. Bo, how are you doing today? Richard, I'm uh, I'm doing rather well. I'm doing rather well. Uh, <clears throat> sitting here after a, a series win against the Diamondbacks, and uh, yeah, doing really good. How are you doing? I, you know what, I'm doing really well. It's uh, it's real interesting. There's the hot stove is really really going in the MLB, and the Mariners have really not done anything, and they're still winning. You know. Um, you know, I, I probably would have liked to sweep against the Diamondbacks. I think everyone would have liked to sweep against the Diamondbacks. But, um, you know, it was a good series. It was a good series win. And it only puts the Mariners about five games back in the West, which is amazing, you know. So I'm doing good. That's that's my way of saying I'm doing good. So <laughs> before we get into everything, thank you for coming back and taking time to listen to another edition of the Forkstown podcast. That's of course, is if you're a returning listener, you know, welcome back. Thanks for being with us for, I think this is episode 57, 58, 59. I'm losing count. We're just doing all these and, and we're loving it. You know, it time flies when we're doing this and we're having fun. If you're a new listener, a first time listener, Hey, thanks for choosing Forkstown. And hopefully we're your new home for Mariners baseball talk. Um, Bo and I, you know, a little background on us real quick. Uh, we're big Mariners fans. Uh, we practically grew up playing baseball and grew up, you know, our friendship kind of blossomed because of the Mariners, because of baseball. So we're here to share some of our baseball knowledge or, you know, those baseball knowledge and my lack thereof sometimes. But, uh, you know, we like to have fun with it. Um, you know, we try to keep it fresh and entertaining. So, you know, thanks for hopping aboard and, you know, hopefully you stick with us going forward. So, um, if you haven't already, go hit up our social media pages. You can find us on Facebook. Find us on Instagram. Just search Forks Down Podcast. You can also hit like and subscribe on your podcast listening apps. You'll get notified when we drop new episodes. Um, you know, we're, we're pretty consistently doing two episodes a week. Um, there might be times where we have to drop down to one, but that just means if we do one a week, you're getting a supersized episode. So, um, you know, tons of fun there and probably a lot of uh, hysterics for me and Bo because when we do long episodes, we kind of we kind of like to have a little bit more fun than usual. So, with all that being said, Bo, uh, did you have your your stopwatch there? Stopwatch. I, I saw you. Uh, let's second. see. I think I'm gonna go with like 45 seconds, maybe a minute, somewhere in there this time. So there you go. Oh, that was certainly long. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Your stopwatch. Next time. Next time. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> good. Good. <clears throat> let's get into Mariners notes, Bo. Um, because like I said, hot stove is burning around the MLB and you know, the Mariners have been pretty quiet. Um, you know, they traded for Trent Thornton and that kind of got brought up on, uh, the last episode of the podcast. Um, and, and since then, you know, we found out, you know, Mariners are open on offers to Seawald. Um, Gilbert's name's still getting thrown around, but other than that, like it's basically been quiet. Uh, pretty quiet on the, on the Mariners side of things. Yeah. Um, and 
yeah, I don't, I don't quite know how the events of the weekend and how, you know, I think we looked pretty tight for the most part, excluding maybe some parts of the Saturday game, um, you know, might sway the front office one way or another, but, um, yeah, I, uh, I, I think the team is just kind of figuring out what they want to do at this point, And that's probably why we just haven't really seen a whole lot of movement thus far. Um, and I think even between ourselves, we're not quite sure of which way the team's probably going to go with it or which way they probably should, right. Or they shouldn't. Um, so yeah, I think they're all just kind of in a figuring it out phase and before the kind of the Tuesday deadline there. Um, but yeah, I know that the Mariners are kind of figuring out, but you saw the Rangers make some moves and then you saw the angels make some moves kind of, what do you, uh, what do you make of all that of Rangers getting Scherzer, the angels, you know, previously they got Giolito, but then they also just acquired crone and Grichik. So the AOS seems to be making moves. So what are your, what are your thoughts on the kind of those events that have kind of happened there? And the Astros got Corey or Kendall Grapen. That's right. Gave up Corey yep, Lee yep. for it. So, I mean, everyone in the AL West outside of Oakland's kind of making moves. Um, it's real interesting to me, you know, you're seeing the angels. I think they were kind of forced to buy and be buyers. Um, you know, they want to try to make a run to keep Otani. I don't think it's going to work, but, um, you know, I've always, I've been proven to be wrong a time or two. Um, the Rangers, you know, they've acquired a couple other pitchers. Um, shares are kind of has been looking spent, you know, Jordan Montgomery. Um, I mean, he's been playing on a bad team, but, um, you know, he's not kind of that top line pitcher that you would normally get. And, uh, you know, the Astros, they did get Graveman, you know, but they're not really making many moves to add. And um, I know it's, it's, it's a very interesting trade deadline just for the AL West. Um, and, you know, Toronto's kind of been adding, again, not some big names, but some pieces to the bullpen. Um, I'm, I'm expecting Baltimore to kind of get in on it too. So, I mean, <laughs> you got to expect at least one, if not two of these AL West teams to kind of go down in, in flames. Someone's not making the playoffs there. You know, I, I don't believe three teams are coming out of the AL West. And honestly, I think it's more open now than ever. You know, um, if the Mariners would have probably got swept this series against Diamondbacks, I really think they would have been sellers. But, you know, the Mariners are putting them in a precarious position. You know, there's there's been comments from, by guys like Cal and and JP and stuff like that where, um, you know, they don't want to break down this team. You know, they don't want to see anyone traded. And um, I think they're kind of trying to do something about it. And they're kind of trying to force the Mariners hand, even if it's not being buyers, but like not to get rid of anyone. And, and honestly, it could be a good tactic at this point because the, the West is still wide open. Mariners are only five games back. The Angels are only a half a game up on them in the standings, you know? So <laughs> it's just, it's kind of wild that the Mariners could do nothing and, still be in this race you know come next month so yeah i think there's a case to be made that they're kind of playing some of their best baseball right like um an upsetting kind of the status quo at this point might yeah i think you said like you said do more harm than good right so they're kind of mm-hmm. over the last really since the all-star break i know we kind of were a little down after the detroit series but <clears throat> been playing decent baseball since then right and you take what they did prior to the all-star break and that's you know july's been a good month to them so um 
yeah, I, I think to maybe upset the status quo and kind of move Teoscar and PLC well to this point might be, uh, unless, unless the return that you're getting, unless you're super, super confident in the return that you're, you're receiving. Right. Um, you know, uh, I guess would be okay. Right. But I just don't know if it's, if it makes sense at the current time for, for them to do anything like that. But then also, um, to see them as quote unquote buyers, uh, it, I, how I feel about it is it's really difficult for me to put together a buying scenario right now, like out there that I think would make a good fit for the Mariners. Like there's certainly guys out there, right? Like, um, you know, obviously Jonathan India's name got thrown around a whole lot. Like pick a, pick a Cardinal, right? That the Mariners have, you know, been, the Mariners haven't really been linked to, but everybody thinks that the Cardinals and the Mariners match together on a, on a trade of some sort. Like there's those out there, but like, it's mm-hmm. difficult for me to kind of, you know, take a couple pieces and try to put them together where I don't know if anything really fits right now as a, from a buying scenario for the Mariners, I guess that's what I'm trying to say there. Um, so I don't know. I, I kind of wonder, you know, how, what, how many years ago was it when we traded Kendall Graveman and got Toro? Is that three years that ago? That was 2021. 2021 and you kind of saw what happened you know it was a, in the grand scheme of things it ended up being i feel like a minor move but uh it kind of upset the balance in the locker room to the point where you know kyle seeger was very vocal about being disappointed about it you know and i mean you both you should see both face right now he he's just shaking me off but i i wonder if they don't want to get put into another situation like that you know and kind of upsetting probably some of the core that is part of this team. You got to expect, you know, guys like Cal, guys like, you know, Kirby, Castillo, dare I say Gilbert at this point, kind of, you know, you don't want to upset those guys. I don't know. I don't Very, very almost similar to 2021. A little bit better record, I think, this year. But, uh, yeah, it's very similar. I, I uh yeah, I don't know the Kyle Seager, Kendall Graveman stuff. I I don't know. I wasn't. I felt like that was a perfectly fine move, and it, it's it's whatever. Um, but like, I uh, yeah. And I think you're. I think you. I think you did make a point that is somewhat eerily similar with like Paul Sewell and what have you there. But like, um, and I get. I, I get. I do get upsetting like the status quo and upsetting the the quote unquote good vibes, right? But like you've openly heard Cal say like, we just aren't a good baseball team right now. And yes, they've been better this far, but like you have to make, you have to want to make the team better. And I guess that comes down to a little bit of trust of like Jerry and team. Like if you think the moves they're making are going to make the team better. Right. So like, I don't know. I don't know. I think there, there probably is something to the vibes part of it, to the chemistry part that I don't probably fully appreciate. I'm, I'm fully aware of that, but like, um, you know, we're also at a point where, do want to try to make the team better. And despite, you know, some, I think offensive surges that I think we've had over the last couple of days or so, we definitely, you know, still need some more offensive support. Absolutely. So if there's something out there that makes sense, let's try to do it. And you think it's going to help us, I think in 2023 and you're hearing Jerry talk about 2024 a lot too, then sure. Let's give it a shot. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get that. And, and you kind of hit it on the head you know, a little while back there that it's just, it's hard envisioning a trade package that looks that, that you can make, you know, taking one or two of our guys for one or two of another team, because it's just, it's hard to do, you know, 
it just it really is i I, yeah i mean i i can't think of like it'd be very easy for us to go out and say um we want nolan arenado and he's going to come in and fill in third base or we really want heck even jonathan india right not saying we do we would or we wouldn't but like I just don't think some of these make a ton of sense for like the asking price that's going to be there and for what other people want. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's just difficult to see envisioning a scenario. I think where we give up one of like the four pitchers, the four young guys that we have at the deadline right now to kind of get something immediate to help on the offensive side. I just don't, that just doesn't seem, this doesn't seem super realistic in my mind, but, uh, I don't know. Jerry, Jerry could get creative, I guess. If he thinks that they've seen enough over these last couple of games to warrant something like the angels are doing to kind of go for it, then sure. But uh, I don't know if that's going to be the case. So what you're saying is what you're saying is there's, there's a one in a million shot that the Mariners could not only get Randy or Rosarena in this trade deadline for Logan Gilbert, but they could get Shohei Otani on the free agent market next season or next off season. Um, you know, if you, if you're, ta- I, I, you, you joke, if you, if you talk about like scenarios that like would talk about the excitement of this team and getting this team to like a real contention point, right. To like where we're talking about a true kind of leader at the AL West, what you described is kind of exactly it, right? Like, yeah, if we trade for a Randy Rose arena, uh, which I don't think would happen until the off season, anyways. But then, if we shine, if we did sign Shohei on top on top of that, we're getting into serious territory there. Definitely, definitely, definitely should not set any sort of expectation that that's ever going to happen. I would say that the Ro- Rosa Arena for Gilbert—that's definitely a conversation that I think needs to probably happen in the off season because I think that there's a high likelihood of that happening. But the other side of it, uh, I think you know how I how I feel about that. But that that is the first time though in weeks I don't think you've shot that down. You you actually you know towards the end there you you really backtracked and said it's not going to happen. But you kind of agreed with me there for a second about Shohei coming. You know to it's it's fun to dream sometimes. I guess um, I'll try not to be super pessimistic but, this time around. How does that sound? I I was just trying to get a rise out of you with that, but you know like. The, the first part of that was pretty realistic. You know, Randy Rosarena, I don't think has been thrown around quite a bit t- until recently, you know, and I don't even think the Rays would trade them, trade him now with the season they're kind of having. But like, um, it certainly makes sense even in the off season. Like if we we're going to give up Gilbert, like Randy Rosarena would be the type of player I would want in return. It can even just, I don't know if it'd be a one of one, one for one swap, I could see it being a one-for-one swap, but I I don't know. Would it be a one-for-one swap in your mind? Or would we have to add prospects for that? Um, so, I mean, we probably value Logan. I mean, I think Logan Gilbert has, trying to think, this is his third year. Um, I think he would have either three or four years of control left after this year. Um, I control, I can pull it up mm-hmm. while we're talking, but yeah, he would have, he would have four years of control after this year. And then I believe Randy Rona Rosarina would have three years of control after this year. So taking that on the fit, taking out that on the value of everything, that probably means that maybe Logan Gilbert has a little bit more value. You get an extra year. Um, 
and controllable young starting pitching is very hard to find. Right. And I think especially to mm-hmm. uh, the Rays that have had injuries with Drew Rasmussen and Jeffrey Springs and a whole host of others. Shane McClanahan's had a couple scares here and there. Like I think Logan Gilbert would be a good get for them. Um, and on the opposite side, Randy Rosarina comes on. It would probably be immediately your best offensive player, right? Like that's somebody best offensive player that, you know, Julio might get to there some, at some point, but like Rosarina comes in is probably your best offensive player. Um, so the way I think about it to answer your question is like, I think both sides would probably want a little bit more and they would both probably be very unhappy with the one for one swap, which makes me think that a one for one swap is probably where the deal ends up. Cause I just think they probably both value that the same way. So I think it probably does end up becoming a, a one for one with maybe Tampa Bay throwing in some like cash considerations, maybe another lower end prospect kind of even out the deal. So that's kind of the where, where I think it would probably end up going, which I think it is a little tough. Cause I think the Mariners could ask for a little bit more, but I just don't think you're going to get <clears throat> much more than that. And I think it makes both sides unhappy and that's usually how these deals kind of get done, I think. So, um, but we'll have until the off season, I don't think. So that's, I, it's just, it's so wild. I had not seen his name all off season, a Rosarena or not all off season, all trade deadline season. And he just started popping up like last night and a bunch of feeds. And I'm like, that's kind of weird. You know, people's comments. I'm like, they're making this sound like it's a sure thing, which is far from a sure thing like a sure thing, but it just, I don't, it's an intriguing name for me. I really like a Rosarena too. I'm a, I'm a Rosarena fanboy. Him and his, uh, it was his cowboy boots during the world baseball classic. Mm-hmm. Slick, slick cowboy boots. Bring that to the Mariners. <laughs> yeah. Wear those every day, please. So moving on from Mariners notes, we just, you know, the Mariners were shooting on Sunday. So, uh, we're only a couple hours removed from uh, a series victory. Um, and, and obviously we're going to talk about the game that Luis Castillo started against Merrill Kelly. But uh, let's start with Friday's game, Bo. And uh, I really think it was a good good way to get the series started. And, um, you know, Gilbert didn't have to be the hero here. He just had to be good enough. And, uh, you know, the Mariners offense were able to carry the Mariners to a victory this uh this uh, game, this Friday game. Did you, by chance, were you watching the broadcast? Did you see how hot it was around game time? Did I hear 118? That doesn't sound right, but I feel like somebody said 118. It was, it was, uh, actually, they showed a thermometer outside the stadium. Of course, it could have been earlier, but it said 116. Man, well, then I think they were making a joke because I think somebody was in the hot tub at, at Chase Field. It's like... Okay, sure. You yeah, go for that. Yeah, you you do that. And, yeah. That sounds <laughs> okay. terrible. That's I I I've always said I am a forty degree guy. I wear shorts in forty degree mm-hmm. weather, and one hundred and sixteen would absolutely <clears throat> kill me. So I'm I'm right there with you. I'm right um, there with you. But uh, no, uh, you know, very good, very good start to this game. Um, Tom Murphy um, just kind of continues. Um, you know, his tear, um, uh, you know, coupled with, there's a lot of other good starts to this game, right? JP Crawford, Julio Rodriguez starting off with kind of their, um, getting on base early, um, kind of having those guys on base, uh, and then being able to be there for, you know, Cal Raleigh and Tom Murphy right after that. So, 
Um, <clears throat> yeah, a very good, I think sometimes we, the, the, the catcher tandem, the catcher like situation that we have right now is incredibly solid, right? Like how often are you going to have two catchers mm-hmm. go back to back like that and help you, you know, score runs. So hot start. Um, very good to see that, you know, Tom Murphy continues kind of swinging a good bat and Cal Raleigh, I think is also swinging a, uh, you know, pretty good bat in the month of July as well. I think still striking out quite a bit, but I think he's up to like a 124 WRC plus in the month of July. So also coming around as well. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't know. It probably was in Saturday's game that it got mentioned, but on the broadcast in Saturday's game, if you lower the minimum at bats to one thirty, so one hundred and thirty plate appearances, Tom Murphy would be second in the league in WRC plus, behind All Star catcher from the Braves, Sean Murphy. Um, so I mean, <laughs> Tom Murphy just needs to continue his trend. I'm hoping. You know, his name's kind of been thrown around. I know the Yankees are looking for some catching help. I would really love for Tom Murphy to stay because he's looking more and more like he's, you know, we we said JP's probably our best offensive weapon. Tom Murphy's kind of slowly rising there. He's looking really good. You know, I, I don't know if that's good to say for the Mariners that their best offensive weapon is either JP or, or Tom Murphy, but, you know, he's helping them win ball games, and that's the biggest thing. So, and, and like you said, Cal Raleigh too, raised his batting average a little bit in this game, went two for five, you know, he's hitting 231. Um, do you have his July stats up by chance? I'm, I'm sure you can look that up. Uh, I'll look um, it up here in a second. Yeah. Okay. Well, while you do that, I'll just kind of run over the batting stats here. JP at the top of the lineup went one for four, had a run scored, um, did have a base on balls. His, his average is over 260 now. Julio went two for four, had a run um had a stolen base his 24th of the season um gino went one for five cal went two for five tom murphy went two for four ty france went two for four um i think going into this game in the last 15 games ty france has had two or more hits in only one of his last 15 games and i'm pretty sure uh all three of these games he had two plus hits i'm gonna fact check that by the end of the 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 segment here but um, you know, Ty, Ty France is picking it up a little bit, at least slapping the ball around. Um, and then the bottom of the lineup didn't do much. Uh, Dylan Moore, Mike Ford, Kate Marlowe, Jose Caballero, and Colton Ford each all didn't have a hit. But um, top of the lineup got us 10 hits. It was good enough for five runs. You know, it was a 5-2 victory. Four of those five runs coming in the first, so it was a hot start, and I was able to get them over the hump. Um Cal Murphy, Cal Raleigh both had two RBIs. Gino had an RBI. Gino's RBI was a 62nd of the season. Um, team runners in scoring position, 5 for 16. Um, not a great number, but not bad. And they only left 9 on base. Um, so offensive-wise, you know, a lot of top-of-the-lineup stuff. But uh, they came through when they needed it, and it attributed to a, a Mariners victory. So. Yeah. So sorry, Tom Murphy, 204 weighted runs created month of July. So coupled with that with a June of 219. So continue it. Yep. Oh, uh, how about, how about Cal Raleigh? Uh, Cal Raleigh, Cal Raleigh was, uh, so Cal Raleigh in July with uh weighted runs created was uh 124. So there you go. That's, that's better than better average. Than better. That's yep. not bad. We're going, going up. So, uh, pitching side of things, like I said at the start, uh, Logan Gilbert didn't have to be the hero, but he was just good enough. Um, he got 
through uh, six and a third innings, did give up nine hits, two runs. Um, both of them earned. One of them uh, or was not his fault. We'll, we'll, you'll, if you can guess, you know why um, this particular person is, and we've mentioned it quite a few times in the podcast, he has a very bad tendency to allow inherited runners to score. But, um, you know, back to Gilbert here for a second. Five Ks, um, you know, his ERA is sitting about a 383. So um, when he left the game, he left it on, left a couple runners on. Matt Brash came in, got two-thirds of an inning, but did allow um, one of those runners to score. So, again, Matt Brash is our culprit there, and he seems to be the culprit every time. Um, Munoz came in in the uh, eighth inning, pitched an inning, uh, did walk someone, but had a strikeout, no runs given up, and then Seawald came in for the ninth to get his 21st save of the season, um, did also walk someone, but struck someone out, no hits given up, no runs given up. And that is the ball game for the Mariners. They were able to pull up again, the five, two victory. So yeah, no, very, I think a solid win for the most part, I think in this one, um, you know, I think Julio was it in this one, got a hold of a couple. I think we already talked about Tom Murphy, Cal Raleigh, everyone kind of did a little bit, had a little bit of a hand in things. I think four players had doubles. So um, <clears throat> offense was just clicking. And <clears throat> this is just a, on the pitching side of things. Yeah, Logan Gilbert didn't really need to be perfect in this one, but he was just good enough and prevented some hard contact from happening. And uh, yeah, I think sometimes that's all you really need when your offense, you know, gives you five runs. So um, not a whole lot of swing and miss in this game from Logan, but um, again, I think just put together a, you know, a solid pitch performance side. Yeah. And he hit that. Uh, he got the win, and it was his ninth one of the season. He's nine and five now. So, um, you know, good to see. You know, towards the All Star break, there everyone was kind of around five hundred with their uh, win loss record. But uh, good to see Gilbert. You know, kind of come out, pitch some good ball games, and um, you know his win loss record is reflecting that a little bit better. So, um, so that was Friday's game again. Scorcher in the desert there, um, and Saturday. Uh, of course, I didn't get to see the temperature because I listened to most of this game on the radio. I uh, did catch the final few innings um, on the broadcast, television broadcast, but um, man, the, the last couple innings were rough to watch. Um, Mariners lost three to four and honestly should have probably took the game. Um, it became the Corbin Carroll show. Uh, what was that? In the ninth? Uh, yeah. Off of Munoz, so that would have been in the ninth. Um, excuse me, the eighth. That was in the eighth. Um, but it kind of became the Corbin Carroll show. The you know Washington local kid came in. Um, he only he went over three, but uh, got on base uh, via a walk, and then uh, ended up on third. You know, one of them was a Munoz walk, but then stole third, and there was no throw. Um, no throw. They just kind of gave up on him. And I know both of us were kind of dumbstruck about that. I don't know. I was kind of irritated by it a little bit. Why didn't we knew he was going to steal? Why didn't we attempt a pitch out or a throw or whatever? Yeah. I don't know what the, I don't know what the situation was there. I don't, I don't know. Cause he, cause we, but he balked earlier and I don't know if it was just, I mean, I mean we know that he's one of the best, you know, in the game, it seems like at that, but uh, Corbin Carroll, that is, but um, 
yeah, it just seems like we, we allowed a walk to be a triple almost, right? Like we allowed, like we just kind of let it happen and, um, yeah, ended up making a big difference in the ball game. Um, so yeah, I didn't, uh, I thought in this game, um, I just didn't think our best players kind of played like our best players in this one, which was tough to see with Munoz. And then, um, yeah, the game ends with, with Julio, but, um, you know, with the strikeout swinging on, um, on the side of things. So I thought this was a, this was a tougher one to watch, especially in the, yeah, final two innings or final, I guess the, the eighth top of the bottom of the eighth and top of the ninth. Um, you couple that with going over 11 with runners in scoring position in this one. Um, and you know, you had plenty of chances in the fifth and sixth. This was a, a more frustrating loss that we've had over the last couple games. Yep. Yep. Brian Wu, um, got the start in this game. He gave, he went five innings, um, gave up seven hits, three runs, all of them earned. Um, didn't strike anyone out. You know, it was not his best performance. Did walk two people. Um, his ERA is kind of sitting over five. Um, you know, after a performance like this, I know it's tough. The, the Diamondbacks are a fairly good team. Um, you know, you think there's a chance that Wu gets sent back down at this point or at any point? You think it's a possibility that he goes back down to AAA or double A? Um, I'm not quite sure. Yeah, he didn't really have that great of an outing this time around. Um, you know, walked and I don't think even got one strikeout. Um, it, it's difficult for me to say to like move him down. I thought we always kind of thought that was going to be the uh, the choice for there, right? To send him to Tacoma or send him to Arkansas so they could manage his innings. But I know Jerry and team have talked about maybe going to like a six man rotation. And I still feel like that's Mm -hmm. the, I feel like that's the most likely scenario that happens. And they, you know, cycle in, um, you know, they cycle in maybe a couple guys like Logan Allen and maybe you have to see Tommy Malone, but then you'll also see probably Emerson Hancock. I would think at some point, I still think that that probably sounds like the most likely scenario where, they're moving those guys in and out and then they likely skip maybe woo in a start or two there here or there to like make sure that he's still staying fresh and still be able to throw. And then, you know, come September, they truly like shut him down, shut him down. So, um, yeah, I don't think he's going to get optioned. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I think they'll probably keep, keep him up there, work through a couple different starters in that six hole and then, you know, to stretch him as starts out a little bit longer. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we didn't have the best game, but, uh, you know, two of our relievers that came in have been having a pretty good month of July. Uh, Gabe Spire came in in the sixth and went an inning in a third. Uh, didn't give up any hits, struck out two people. Spire's looking really good, especially in the month of July, having some good outings. And then uh, Justin Topa came in um, in the, it'd be the sixth inning and went the other, or excuse me, the seventh inning, went the other two-thirds of an inning there. Um, did give up a hit, but um, nothing came around to score or anything. Um, you know, we we talk a lot about Seawald. Um, we've been talking recently a lot about Munoz. You know, some good, some bad with him. You know, he's kind of a mixed bag right now. But uh, you know, I don't I don't think we're giving a lot of love to to guys like Gabe Spire and Justin Topa who are coming in. You know, Spire's obviously been more of a like a lefty on lefty guy. Um, and then Topa's coming in in these high leverage situations and, and showing that they're, you know, should be 
parts of this bullpen going forward. You know, um, I know Topa's names kind of came up a couple times in trade talks, but uh, I don't know. I think we got something there, even though he's 32 years old. He's a 32 year old rookie. Yeah, I don't know if you were listening to the radio broadcast was today, but Gary Hill Jr. was talking about uh, Topa's story, how um, mm-hmm. he uh, was thinking about giving up on baseball. Someone from the independent league called him and tried to give him, you know, said like, oh, well, this coach is going to call you. And Topa was like, oh, I really hope that they don't call me so I can just kind of give up on it. But they ended up calling him and he ended up going to pitch and had a velocity bump. So he's got a really good story, right? Um and mm-hmm. the fact that he's been able to make it to this point now where he is a absolutely a high leverage situation probably could close maybe on a couple teams here or there. Right. Like, um, is, is this a really good story? And this has been a really, really good find for, for this manager's, I think front office. Right. So, and mm-hmm. you talk about this game, but then also, um, uh, the game after as well. Right. So like, he's just been, he's been locked in lately. He's been looking good. Um, and just an overall really good story there. Um, but uh, yeah, a couple of that with Gabe Spire, who's been, seems like has locked it in a little bit after a couple of bumpy outings. Um, you know, I think there's some parts of this bullpen that are really kind of, I think locked in. Right. I think, yeah. And it's funny because we, we talk about those guys and then we get to like the guy who we think is just more solid than like the guy that we want to give the ball to right. In high leverage situations. And it just seems like, Andres Menuno's as having some bumps in the roads, I think along the way right now, right. Just, uh, you know, I think the command is just not has been as good as he wants it to be. And, uh, yeah, I think we're seeing, um, you know, we're seeing him struggle, I think from, from parts here. Right. I would say, and maybe I shouldn't say struggle, right. The guy still has an under three ERA, um, you know, still striking mm-hmm. out, you know, 12 per nine, but, uh, you know, with that comes, you know, four walks per nine. Right. So, um, and it just seems like, and this one in particular, it was just frustrating to have, you know, a walk and then a Bach back to back and then the Carol steal after that. So maybe our recency bias is playing a little bit into that, but, um, you know, hope in the next couple of games, he can kind of work it out. Cause he's certainly the guy that I think could, we still want to give the ball to and, you know, mega high leverage situations. Yep. Yep. Um, it's funny that you brought up that Topa story that happened on today, Sunday's broadcast. Um, because uh, I think it was on the TV broadcast they were talking about Gabe Spider's story a little bit. Um, and I, I don't know if he caught it, but um, he was pitching. It wasn't his uh, it wasn't his MLB debut, but he came up in the Royal system and um, sometime after his debut he got he got option and then they needed him to come back up because one of the relievers got hurt and he was playing in Omaha. so that's just down the road a little bit from Kansas city and he's packing his stuff up and he got a call and he's like, Hey, the Royals need you like tonight, like now, you know? And he was hungry. He's like, well, I was going to go get something. He's like, no, you guys gotta, you gotta get here now. And so he motored up to Kauffman stadium. And, uh, uh, as he was walking in, he said from the time he put his car in the park, got into the clubhouse, put his uniform on and the club, he came running and he goes, Hey, they need you in the bullpen now. Like get it on and go from the time he put his car in the park to him being on the mound because he pitched that day was like 15 minutes. He walked in the clubhouse, 
got dressed, went out to the bullpen, warmed up, and then was on the mound in Kauffman Stadium within 15 minutes. Hmm. Um, I don't. Wow. There, there's some incredible stories on this team that I that I hear. You know, via the broadcast, Gary Hill Jr. is very good at hmm. that. Um, you know, I I think my dream broadcast team for this Mariners team and no offense to Rick Riz or Dave Sims or you know, Angie's been stepping it up a little bit or Mike flowers. But I think my dream broadcast team for this team is Aaron Goldsmith and Gary Hill jr. Gary Hill jr. Is slowly becoming my favorite. You know, he asked me at the start of the season, it's always been Aaron Goldsmith, you know, and he's still got the good calls, but Gary Hill has been bringing a lot of knowledge, a lot of insight. And, uh, I can certainly tell you guys that if you haven't been listening to the radio broadcast when he's on, you're missing out. He's really good at his job. So agreed, agreed. Whenever, uh, whenever it's him and Aaron, that's the, it's the, it's the coupe de gras. It's the best though. Um, but, uh, yeah, those, uh, we we're, we're breaking. Well, there were, there were, did you see that? Like somebody put out like broadcast rankings, something like that. I think the Mariners were like 10th or 11th in that. So, um, we still please, think. Please tell me the Cardinals were thirtieth. Uh, I think please the color. I think the Cardinals are a little lower on it. Yeah. So, um, but okay, uh, because after their, uh, we could talk about it later. After the whole Miles Nicholas <laughs> hit by pitch, yep. if you listen to their broadcasters, terrible time, terrible time. Anyways, let's let's circle back around to this ball game because you know we're sidetracking here and we're talking about good stories, but um, you know. I want to get through this game so we can talk about the next game where we win the series. Um, you know, obviously um, the middle part of our pitching was good, but Wu didn't have a good night. Munoz didn't have a good night. And then offensively Mariners were able to scrounge up 10 hits, had more hits than the diamondbacks. But um, you know, it, it kind of came from all over JP Julio each had a hit. Uh, Gino went over uh, Cal Raleigh had a hit. Hey, Oscar had a couple Ty France, Tom Murphy, Cade Marlowe, um, Colton Long and Jose Caballero. So everyone but Gino had a hit. They just couldn't piece it together. Like you said earlier, 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position, eight left on base. Um, you know, you got to get them on, you got to get them around. And it just wasn't happening on Saturday night. And, uh, you know, they truly weren't out of the game in the ninth inning. Um, was it Cade? It was Cade Marlowe. He had a triple off of Andrew Chafin. Um, chased Chafin out of the game and the Mariners had a chance to tie it. And like you said, Julio came up in the ninth inning and uh, had a good battle for the first seven, six, seven pitches. And then that eighth pitch, which was a slider, he uh, swung at air and looked terrible and, uh, you know, led to the Mariners losing the game four to three, obviously not all on Julio, but you know, it's just tough that it consistently seems to be uh, more and more Julio putting these bright light situations and him just not producing. Yeah, it's, uh, it's tough. And I know we talked last week that, uh, you know, Julio was better, much better in the ninth inning of 2022. And we like, well, eventually he's going to turn it around. And um, I think we can probably just keep on saying that and hope that that's true. But um Right now, it just comes off as somebody that's just in his head a whole lot, and especially in the bigger situations, it just seems like he is. Yeah, he's just uh, he doesn't have it. It just seems like 
the game is just too fast for him or it's just, I don't know, he's too fast for it or I don't know what it is, but it's just, uh, it's just not there. And I don't know if it's the best way to like fix it. It's just immersion, right? Like, I don't know what that is. Just like he's going to be in these situations as, as the season goes along, but it's just, it's just tough to watch. Cause I just, I don't know. I was more confident in this one because I think he had the good start to the at bat. And I think as it went along, it just felt like he was going to maybe do something, but um, it's just, uh, it's really tough to watch, man. It's really tough to watch the games. And like this. Yep. Yep. And you know, we're just a couple of guys that played up to high school level. You know, we could sit here and talk for hours on what we think he could do, you know, but it just, it's, it's certainly tough watching it. You know, I could say, you know, he just needs to get out of the mindset of being the hero and just get a base hit. That's all that would have tied that game. And it, he always looks like he's swinging for the fences. But again, you know, we're not put in that situation. You know, we're not making millions of dollars or even thousands of dollars to, to think like this. So Julio's going to turn it around. I have no doubt he's going to turn it around. Is it going to be this season? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I certainly hope that the Mariners can continue to trend upwards. I hope he's a big part of it, but um, you know, we've got at least 10 more years of him. So I think he's going to turn it around. Not every, not every superstar is going to be great at every single moment. Everyone goes through slumps. Everyone goes through rough times. I mean, Bryce Harper's got how many MVPs and how many slumps have we, seen throughout his career. You know, Juan Soto, since being traded to the Padres, hasn't looked great. So it's just a matter of time. He's going to come around. So moving on to Sunday's game, 4 nothing victory. Abel shut out the Diamondbacks. And uh, on the anniversary of his trade to the Mariners, Luis Castillo came up big and um, had, a, had a very good outing. You know, only went six innings, only gave up two hits, though. Um, didn't give up any runs, uh, only walked one person, struck out seven, brought his ERA down to a 2.88. You know, that's uh, that's getting close to some of the leaders out there. And um, I don't know. I, I think Luis Castillo, we've said it last week. We're saying it this week. He's definitely looking better, definitely trending upwards, um, you know, in terms of uh, pitching. So. Yeah, and you gave me a hard time because I told you on Saturday that Luis is going to have a good game, and then you said I was going to jinx it. So, jokes on you. Um, uh, but uh, no, Luis is—he looks locked in, right? In this game, I think, and the last game too. Um, he just uh, his fastball's always been good, but like the slider has just been locked in. I feel like right, and in this one he had ten called strikes on this on the slider alone in this one right and that's just that's just dominant right like <clears throat> it's just a dominant way to kind of go through with all your all the pitches that you have he had a number of called strikes on his sinker and his two seamer that is and the changeup as well in this game so like he just kind of had everything working and he's avoiding kind of that big inning and uh i think the positive side in this one right i don't think he gave up a ton of hard contact if i'm remembering correctly i don't think he really i don't think that i don't think that I don't think they really had much uh, against him at all in this game. Right. I think that he had, how many hits did he give up mm-hmm. in this one? Was it like two? He, he, two he gave up two. 
the Diamondbacks only got three hits throughout the game. None of them were for extra yeah. bases. There was no doubles, triples, home runs. They were 0 for 1 with runners in scoring position. They only left four on base. So, I mean, dominant performance, not just from Luis Castillo, but the whole pitching staff as a as a whole. Right, right. So, and it, Yeah, I think he did hit somebody in this game, but then I think there were some eerily similar, similar plays where um, I think Dominic Canzone, like, I think he hit it directly to the first baseman on, like, to tie France, I think on like two different to plays. So like got some double and I've got some nice double plays there, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. So, uh, but yeah, no, Luis just looks locked in and, um, he's somebody that, uh, I, w- I want to say how many innings is Luis up to now? Do we know, do we have that off the top of our head? I can, I can look at it right now. You, um, you're usually the stat guy here, but I got this, um, Luis is seven and seven on the season. He's up to 131.1 innings. 131. So, so I mean, he's just, uh, yeah. And I, I think his career high is like in the, like the one ninety somewhere in there, but, um, you know, been incredibly durable this season and, uh, yeah, I think his whip now you love the whip. I think it's tied for the, for the lead league in whip at this point. So he's just locked in and I think he's going to be locked in for the rest of the season. Did he tie it with uh, George Kirby? Please tell me Kirby is up there. Uh, Kirby, Kirby uh, is up there. Um, I can't remember who he's tied with off the top of my head, but he's uh, okay. he's right up you, there. You yeah. find it. I'll keep talking here. We'll we'll finish up the pitchers here. Justin Topa, you know, we just said a lot about him about the, in the last game, but he came in, got his 16th hold of the season. Um, in the seventh inning, pitched one inning, um, struck one. One person out, didn't give up any hits, no runs. His ERA is down to 2.59. Brash came in, didn't have any inherited runners because he came in at the top of the eight or bottom of the eighth. Um, did give up one hit, but struck out two, got his 14th hold of the season. And then the Mariners got an insurance run in the ninth off a of Geno single, scored JP. And so instead of putting Seawald out there, they brought in Taylor Saucedo and um, you know, I see you have a note here about CB Buckner needing to retire. I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, maybe it wasn't too correctly. Sacedo was like one pitch from an immaculate inning. Like there was one pitch that was called a ball that was very, very borderline. But if he would have got it, it probably would have been an immaculate inning. So is that why you put that CB Buckner needs to retire? Yeah. CB. Yeah. I, I, yeah. That's, that's off the cuff, but uh, yeah, CB Buckner. Yeah. I think it was, I think it was kind of a questionable strike zone for most of the game. And, um, but uh, yeah, I think he was, I think he was very close to that immaculate inning. So um, just kind of what happens there, but yeah, yeah, it was good on Taylor Sacedo to still, you know, I think be able to work through it. And I think all the relievers in this game, I think pitched pretty well. Didn't labor through a lot of innings, right? Didn't labor through a lot of pitches, that is. So, um, you know, Topa Brash and Sacedo all look pretty good. Yep. 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 Do you have the whip up before we move oh, on? Sorry, Taylor with, Na- with Nathan Eovaldi from the from the Texas Rangers. So, there you go. Who just recently went on the IL. That's right. That's right. So, yeah. Offensively, um, three of the four runs came in the first two innings. Um, you know, JP was a big part of the uh, the reason that the offense uh, was able to do what they did. 
Um, they got another 10 hits. Um, JP went two for three, had three of the four runs, had an RBI, walked twice. His average is up to 265. I mean, big ups on JP. He's having a career year. So um, Julio's one, went one for five, had a run. Gino went two for five. Cal had an for. Teo went one for five. Mike Ford one for three. Ty France had three games. I told you I'd fact check this. Let me go back to Saturday's game real quickly. And did I say Ty France? I said Ty France had two plus hits in every game, and I don't think he. Oh, where are we at? Oh crud! I'm screwing it up, Bo. I'm not. I'm not on the ball with the stats like you are. I think he had. I think he had one hit in Saturday's game. But still, he had three hits in Sunday's game, so he looked pretty well. But, I mean, this seemed like the uh, the J.P. Crawford show from the moment this game, uh, you know, started. He had a home run, his ninth home run of the season. What else can we say about J.P. that we haven't already? Yeah, J.P., he's putting – he's the best offensive player on the Manners in 2023. I don't think that's wild to – I don't think that's wild to say at all right like he's the he's absolutely the leadoff guy he's the guy that has been the most consistent i feel like for the mariners right which is just uh you know throughout jp's career i feel like jp was one of those guys that just had a good month and had a bad month and batted everywhere in the lineup every single order spot right and there and like this year he's pretty solidly placed himself at the top of the lineup so it's just uh it's great to see yep So that was the Diamondback series, you know, not much else to talk about offensively because like I said, it was the JP Crawford show, but, uh, we're, uh, every, every series is going to be a big series going forward. Um, this one's going to be a particularly big one because this is potentially a team that we could see in the wild card. Um, you know, Mariners are returning home for a quick three game set and they're going to be facing off against the Boston Red Sox. And uh, every every series, you need to get a series win. And I certainly think this could be a winnable series. You know, if if we don't let Brian Bayo look like a uh, a very good starter this series, or uh, you know, we can chase Nick Pavetta or Cutter Crawford. I I it's not out of the realm of possibility that we take two or three. It's not out of the realm of possibility that they could sweep this series in Seattle. Yeah, I think especially with the way the the team's playing, right? Uh, I think there's <clears throat> a lot of potential for the Mariners to come at least out with two or three, which has kind of been the Mariners' mo recently, right? And uh, they've been playing good teams better, and you know you can say maybe the Red Sox are Red Sox are a good team, but uh, you know not uh, maybe like the Orioles or the Rays level, obviously, but like uh, the Mariners have been playing good teams better. The thing that we the thing that we wanted from the Mariners early on the season, we're kind of getting that recently. And I think there's a good chance they kind of continue that in this Red Sox series. Yep. We've got some really good pitching matchups here. George Kirby's taking the bump on Monday, facing off against Nick Pavetta. Tuesday, we got Bryce Miller going against Brian Bailiff. And Wednesday, Logan Gilbert um, closes out the series against Cutter Crawford. I ask you this all the time, Bo, which, which matchup are you looking forward to? Um, I think I'm going to go with Bryce Miller this time. I, I kind of want to see just 
he's I feel like he's getting into a little bit of better groove, relying on some of his more of his off speed stuff or his breaking stuff a little bit more. So I kind of want to see, want to see if that continues more or less and see if he uh, kind of what he's got against that kind of good Boston lineup. So Bryce Miller's my guy. Well, you go with the unexpected here. I'm going to stick with the tried and true. I need, need him to come out and get a good series start here. George Kirby against Nick Pavetta. Kirby, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to predict seven innings at least. We'll go seven strong. Only four hits given up with no walks and six Ks. So. Uh, all right. I, I fully expect Kirby to do that. Hopefully I don't jinx it and he only goes three and gives up nine runs. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Bo, it's that time of the episode. It's my favorite time. Hopefully, everyone else that listens to the podcast loves it as much as I do. But it is Prospect Corner. And uh, I'm going to tell you, Bo, you you picked a good one here. You picked a good one. I I really like his name. I really like what I see from him. Take it away. Yeah, who we've got today is uh, Lazaro Montes. Um, he was a 2020, uh, 2022 international signing out of Cuba. Um, he is, uh, he's a big kid. Um, you know, I think Ryan Divish, Ryan Divish tweeted, I think in spring training that he was six, seven, 240 pounds, um, at age 18. Um, I kind of maybe I, I kind of, I kind of, I, I don't know. I question maybe a little bit of that. Right. Um, but uh, I think there were some concerns. I think last year he did go to the DSL and he had like a 33% K rate. So I think there were some concerns around that, but um, you know, he started in the complex league this year. So came stateside um, and thus far, right. He has, uh, he has a 26% strikeout rate still pretty high, um, but he's also walked 23% of the time. Um, and that's good for a slash line of 280, 459 on base percentage with a 550 slug. Um, and I think some of that walk rate, there was a report, um, you know, CBS had a report a couple of weeks back that, uh, Lazar Montes is quote unquote kind of feared by pitchers, right? Cause it just, I think his size and how hard he hits the ball. And, um, he does have six home runs thus far. And, uh, I think I may have said this in the past, which you don't really, which you can probably, um, yell at me for, but he, the comp to him right now, the closest comp to him, um, is uh is Jordan Alvarez for his size and batting left-handed. I'll take it. Um, you know, I think that'd be that would be very, very big if he's able to get to that at some point. But I think the the key consideration with him is he is only 18 years old. Um but uh seems like a fully grown man <laughs> at this point. So um we'll see with we'll see with Laz. I would think that um I would think that he'll stay in the complex league all this year and then eventually he'll go to Modesto probably starting next year and then you know once they kind of get into the, the a double a system, you know, all that, like you can, they can kind of ascend just how based upon all sorts of their, you know, statistics and what have you there. So, um, you know, Montes has certainly has like a future as a 30 home run guy, like a 40 home ground home run guy. I think that's certainly a ceiling. I think he probably has to cut back on the, on the strikeouts a little bit. Um, maybe a little bit more plate discipline on that side of things, but, um, yeah, he's, uh, he's starting to command our attention. I would say is, uh, is Laz Montes. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, Bo, but 
didn't he uh, kind of train with the guy that trained Jordan? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I'm not entirely sure about that one, but because um, it's Jordan. Is Jordan Cuban as well? Yes, Jordan is Cuban. Okay. And actually, because of my knowledge of MLB The Show, and it says it all the time, Jordan, um, I'm pretty sure his favorite player growing up, and he ended up being teammates with him, with him was like Jose Abreu, you know, and now they're teammates. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, um, they are all three of them that I just brought up: Laz, Jordan, and Jose Abreu are all Cuban. So there you go, nice. But uh, yeah, that's all I got on the guy. Um, he's definitely starting to, um, you know, we'll do a full recap. I think once we kind of get into the off season, but um, the Mariners offensive side of things on the prospect side have really kind of taken a jump this year. And uh, yeah, he's just another, another part of it. Well, I'm, I'm certainly ready to see him at a higher level. Um, you know, I got family down in Modesto. Maybe once he gets to Modesto, maybe I'll, uh, I'll go hit up that family and say, hey, you guys want to go to a baseball game? I also need to get a nuts hat. I know they have them at T-Mobile, but I love getting them in person. So maybe one of these days I'll I'll, I'll get a nuts hat. Too. I like it. Then we got to make a trip to Arkansas sometime and get one get one there, too. So I, I, I do need an Arkansas hat, too. I thought I bought an Arkansas hat, not the last time I was in Seattle, but the time before. And it was just a retro Tacoma Rainier's hat completely threw me off but <laughs> well bo that is the show for this uh nice sunday night um do you have anything else before we get out of here uh i actually do today yes uh let me see i just want to make sure i've got it all pulled up here um so we'll do so i was uh this kind of goes from i was I was puttering around with people that have been traded and what have you and i was going into like a lot of like looking back up the draft and going to the draft and just kind of pulling up the Mariners list. Right. So um, we'll start with this, but did you know that the Mariners did draft Lance Lynn? Um, The Mariners did draft Lance Lynn. Yes. Do you, uh, um, this isn't the trivia question, but this is the difficult, like, do you, can you guess what year the Mariners drafted Lance Lynn? Take a guess. 2003. Uh, You're close you're close. The answer was 2005. Um, Okay. I thought he got drafted in 2005 by whoever he got originally drafted by, but I'm guessing the Mariners drafted him first. And he did correct. Fly. Then he went to, then he went to the yeah. university of Mississippi and then he got drafted in the first round um, three years later in 2008. So uh, the reason I'm asking is that Lance Lynn is the highest war accumulated by a, play, a player that was drafted by the Mariners. Right. So like, he is the highest war accumulator of players that have been drafted by the Mariners that are currently active. That is right. Um, but can you tell me who is the highest war earner for a player that has been drafted and signed by the Mariners? Well, there's only two that I can think of. Quick guess would be Ken Griffey. So they are, that has to be active. It has to be an active play. Oh, it has has to be active. active. This is, this is, this is a tough, this is a tough question. So I'm willing to give you, I'm willing to give you, uh, a year that this player was drafted and a division that they currently play in. So yeah, sure. Hit me okay. So this, uh, this was, this player was drafted in 2012 and they play okay. in the NL West. 
Chris Taylor. Chris Taylor is correct. Ding, ding, ding. Well done. Well done. Well done. He was drafted in wow. 2012 in the fifth round. There you go. And wow. Okay. Now all time here. Is it A-Rod or is it Griffey? Uh, it is, well, based upon war. Based yes. upon war, I believe it's A-Rod. I I would I would assume so too. That's why I was leaning with most people would assume it's Griffey, but I think, I think it's, it's A Rod. Yeah, pretty, I think, I think it's, it's A Rod. Yeah, so. so there you go. But uh, well done, well done, well, well done. Thank you. Well, you did give me a little bit of a hint once you said NL West. I that was the first thing that came to mind. So you could you could tell how quick <laughs> I was. But uh, you have anything sorry, else? Sorry, a couple of little nuggets. I was looking at this. Do you know that the Mariners also drafted oh. Mike Yaskrimski as well? So. Also in that same draft with with Chris Taylor, so interesting. No yeah. kidding. Yeah. So there you go. Good lord. But uh, oh. other than that, I will be quiet. I'm all done. So so thank you, thank you. Yep. <laughs> no, thank you. I love trivia questions. One of these days, we need to go to like a baseball night trivia, and dominate. I like it. Find one in Seattle, and I'll come over for it. Prop potentially around the time that I'm there every February and we go to defy. But anyways, <laughs> for all our listeners in the Puget Sound, Pacific Northwest and beyond, thank you for taking time to listen to another edition of the Forks Down podcast. For Bochism, I'm Rick Clark, and we'll see you guys next week.